how was your Labor Day weekend? Uh, it was good. It's been busy because I you know that group I added you to, the, the Ghost Light group? Yeah, yeah. How's that going? It's going well. I'm the director of marketing for it now, though. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> it's super exciting, but also like it's, it's muscles I haven't used in a long time. Like I, because mm. I did DECA briefly in high school and I was really good at DECA, but I haven't touched it since junior year of high school, except to like make Instagram graphics for different student organizations. Um, but mm. now I'm, we're, we're preparing to launch the website in a little over, uh, I guess, almost a little under two weeks now. Yeah, it's been a lot of that. I just finished filming a self-tape for class. Yeah, we're just, we're, we're doing our best to vibe. How are you, friend? Uh, a little hungover. <laughs> Love to see it. Well, actually, no, I, I'm actually feeling pretty good now. Uh, this Earlier, I was a little hungover. Oh my God, you know, I don't really get headaches. I mean, knock on wood, I don't really get headaches. But I just feel... Do you ever just, like, I don't know. I don't sleep when I drink. I don't ever mm-hmm. sleep well. I don't know if that's the same for you. I don't ever sleep well when I drink. Oh, I pass out cold. Oh, see, I I'll, I might, like, pass out or fall asleep, but then I, like, I toss and turn. I get really hot, and there was, like, a thunderstorm last night. So oh, my gosh. I, like, I know. My life is so hard. Welcome everybody back to our to episode two of Welcome. The Show Goes On, the podcast with your hosts, <laughs> Michael and, and Alexa. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm sounding a little Donald Trump. I don't know why. Uh, oh my God. Actually, I sound like Jimmy Fallon impersonating Donald Trump. But anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Oh, Allegra, what show are we talking about today? Today, we are talking about a fantastic musical called Come From Away. Welcome to the park. Welcome to the trees. To the ocean and the sky and whatever's in between. To the ones who've left. Come from away. I don't know how I don't know how Newfoundlanders. I don't know what that accent is, but it's it's pretty cool. It's a really cool accent. An accent. Oh, yeah. A really cool accent. Um, <laughs> okay, yeah. Come from away. It's a Canadian musical about 9-11. A very American, you know, tragedy. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, absolutely. I think what what makes the show as as fascinating as it is is that it's a it's a whole story about that very tragic moment in history that we don't necessarily know about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We all we we all have heard the stories and the the news reports and seen the footage from that really tragic day, but there was this whole other 
part of the crisis that was happening in another area of the world. And there were so many people of all different backgrounds and nations of origin in the middle of this other part of the crisis. And it's it's just, it makes for such a good story. No, yeah. So you hear about, you know, well, we saw the footage in New York of, you know, American Airlines Flight 11 into the North Tower of the World Trade Center. Uh, we saw United Airlines Flight 175 into the Southern Tower um, or into the South Tower. We saw American Airlines Flight 77 into the Pentagon and we saw, you know, the footage. We didn't see exactly the footage of it, but we saw the aftermath, United Airlines Flight 93. However, Come From Away talks about a completely different area, as you said, of the tragedy. So it's it set, you know, uh, from September 11th to about like, you know, the kind of the week of September 11th after following September 11th. Um, it is based on a true story of what happened when uh, 38 planes were ordered to land unexpectedly in the very small town of Gander, which I had never heard of, but Gander in the province of Newfoundland in Canada. Um, and this was known as Operation Yellow Ribbon. And, uh, you know, the characters in the musical are actually based on real, and actually has have the same names of real Gander residents, um, as well as some of the, what was it, 7,000 people that were stranded? Um, I believe, oh yes. Yeah, so all of these flights were ordered to land in, you know, this city of Gander, which, I mean, from the musical and from what the research I did after that, it was a very, very small town in kind of the middle of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think that's, I mean, at the very beginning, you hear the the people of the town talking, the things that happen in their daily lives are all just going about and the, the worst thing that's happening in town is the, the school bus strike. Um, and then oh, like yeah. so quickly um, and you hear them talking about how usually they get one or two, maybe three planes in a day. And suddenly there's nearly 40 on their tarmac. Is this on? Sorry, I'm new. This is Rogers TV, Channel 9. My name's Janice Mosher, and I'm reporting live from Gander Airport, where the 19th plane has just touched down. I'm here with Bonnie Harris. On a normal day, we get a half dozen flights. Now, we already got three times that many landing in two hours. That's a lot of noise. You can smell the So this, this musical, this musical was worked. It's a Canadian musical. It's a Canadian musical that was workshopped in 2012, uh, and it was first produced at Sheridan College in Oakville, Ontario, Canada in 2013. And then it went on to have record-breaking runs at La Jolla, La Jolla Playhouse in San Diego, California, which I also know where the musical, it's not where it premiered, but I guess the U.S., premiere of the off-Broadway revival of The Hunchback of Notre Dame also in like the 2013 one also was at La Jolla Playhouse, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, a lot a lot of stuff comes through La Jolla before um, before it goes to off-Broadway and Broadway. I believe Thoroughly Water Millie went through there too. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, there's quite a few things that have gone through there. And then it went to the Seattle 
repertory theater. Wink, I, wink, nudge, nudge. Wink, wink. I saw that production. It changed my life. <laughs> Are you serious? You saw this? You saw the? You saw it in out of town tryouts? I did. They took it to the Seattle Rep, and uh, they were doing shows for high school students. And my drama teacher got all of us that were doing the fall musical together, and we took a we took a like early morning field trip and got to see the show. And it was amazing because it's it. He really wanted us to see it because we were doing a very ensemble based show where it's kind of one of those things where you just take on whatever role is needed at the time. That's the biggest part about being a storyteller in one of those shows. And he had seen Come From Away. He had seen it like a, a very near the beginning of the run, I believe, in Seattle. And he was like, I have to I have to take the kids to this because this is exactly the kind of thing I want to teach them about what it is to be an ensemble member in this kind of show. And it, it, was, it was amazing. That is amazing. Uh, did you see the Broadway run or the tour or did you see it ever again after that? I actually saw it twice more. Um, nice. I'm so spoiled on this show. Um, but my, uh, my senior year of high school, uh, every, every three years, my drama department raises money and we go on like a, a three day, three or four day trip to New York and we see shows. Um, and because he had taken all of us to see come from away when it was been Seattle, our director decided that we were all going to go see the Broadway run. Um, mm-hmm. and it, again, it was just amazing. What was really interesting was, um, it was almost the exact same cast that we had seen in Seattle, except for one person, I'm blanking on his name, who, who replaced him. It was, we had seen, um, Eric Ancrim, I believe is how you pronounce his name. Uh, and he played, uh, Oz, the cop. Um, yeah. but he, he ended up, uh, settling down in Seattle, but, uh, it was great seeing the same cast and seeing, seeing what had changed and what had stayed. There, were there a lot, we can, we can delve deep into this later, but were there a lot of changes or was it pretty much the same show or? I didn't notice a whole ton of changes. I mean, I, I think there were, there were quick changes. Lengths of songs changed here and there. I mean, I could be remembering this totally wrong, <laughs> um, but it, it it was almost the exact. It, w- it was almost the same show. Like s- things had been tweaked, which I think is that's kind of where you're at once you once you do have that kind of out of town tryout. Um, you're pretty set. You're just kind of working out little little things. But I mean, mm-hmm. I I sobbed, <laughs> I sobbed through that show. Um, there are like three distinct points that I always, always, the three times that I've seen it, I have cried. Um, it like, but by the time it gets to the end with the, um, the little sing along and the dancing and the clapping, like I, I, I'm done for, I'm in, (laughs) I'm a complete mess. Um, and then I, I saw it again. Sorry. I feel like I'm rambling a little bit. No, Um, I, and you are allowed to ramble on this is your show. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, I saw it again. Um, oh gosh, would that be last year? I think it was last year in October, around there. I was home from college for a, uh, a break, and the tour was coming through. So, and my mom also loves Come From Away. She had seen the um, the production at the Seattle Rep with my dad way back in. I guess that would have been twenty sixteen. So she loved it. So we went and saw it together and um, Megan McGinnis was in it. And I love her with all my heart. Um, oh. I'm a 
fan of hers from like Little Women and Daddy Long Legs. So I was like, oh my gosh. And I knew that her and um, Adam Halpin, they're married and they're on this tour together. And her, her husband, Adam, is a uh, swing. And my mom and I had gotten like some kind of cheaper tickets because um, what we could get a hold of at the time. So we were near the back of the auditorium in the mez. Sitting two rows in front of us was Adam Halpin and the rest of the swings. And I about lost my mind. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I knew I couldn't I couldn't be that person that went and like bothered them because I'm like they're they're just trying to enjoy their night and like they probably are also on call in case something happens so I'm not going to do that but I was like mom you don't know anything about this person but it's him yes <laughs> yeah. oh my gosh I can picture that I can picture I can picture it in my head just just them sitting right in front of you and you just being like, oh, my God. Oh, I was freaking out so much because, like, I to get slightly off topic, the um, the recording of Daddy Longlegs that has Megan McGinnis and Adam Halpin, like, that's that's one of my guilty pleasure things. Like, I'll watch that anytime I'm feeling, like, a little sad or I just need, like, a theater pick-me-up. Like, it's that yeah. recording because it's so... It's so good, and it's so cute that they're actually married. Huh. Right? Oh, yeah. I love those stories. So it went from Seattle, and then it went to the Ford's Theater in Washington, the famous Ford's Theater in Washington, D.C., and then to the Royal Alexandra Theatre in Toronto. Nobody in Toronto probably talks like this, but that's just how I thought <laughs> I would read the name. And that's in 2016. Um, and then it opened on Broadway at the Gerald Schoenfeld Theatre. I said his name right, correct? Schoenfeld? I believe so. That's one of those names so I've never been sure about. And I feel like I've waited it? too long to ask. I know, I'm literally like, this is our major. <laughs> <laughs> we should know these things. <laughs> uh, See, I see the word and I know what it is, but pronunciation-wise, no clue. <laughs> right. And oh my gosh, I mean, this became a huge success. I mean, so yeah, it became this massive, massive critical success on Broadway because, I mean, truly, it's a, it, it takes place around a really traumatic and tragic event in American history that I feel like so many people uh, can relate to. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I mean, I my mom knows where she was when she first saw the the footage on TV. My Same with my dad. Like, every everyone that was a, a more sentient being, because, of course, I was only about three years old when that happened. Um everyone knows where they were. Everyone remembers that feeling. So I think you're absolutely mm -hmm. right. It's, it's a shared traumatic experience that everyone has. And I think this, the, what the show does really well is it, it is, it, it tells you exact, it shows you that feeling. Mm -hmm. Do you so remember where you, do you remember where you were on 9-11? Do you remember 9-11 at all? Not at all. I mean, again, I don't, uh, I had not yet turned three years old. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I am assuming, I think I was at daycare. I, I'm assuming I was at daycare. Um, yeah, I was, 
Yeah, I was about two. I think I was on the floor of my living room. You know what I mean? Just not, you know, I mean, truly, I don't, I remember the aftermath of it for sure. I remember, and I think we'll get into this later when we talk more about the synopsis of the show, but I, I, rem- I think I remember the effects of it more than, you know, you know, I think, I think now kids are just like, this is just so normal uh, to like walk into an airport now and just, you know, have to go through TSA. Uh, there's a lot of aftermath that kids today will never, you know, don't really fully understand or will ever really question why they're in place because it's just like, that's what they grew up knowing. But I kind of do remember the world shifting a little bit, you know, from, you know, growing up, growing up and stuff like that. Somewhere in between your life and your work When the world may be falling apart And you think I'm alone I'm alone and I'm so damn helpless There's nothing left for you but dreams We open the airplane doors Flash on the cars Woo! I've never done that before 28 hours gone Over an entire day Running out of things to say And wondering if there's someone going to clue us in Tell us all what's happening Because the sun is setting And we're sitting in the dark Wherever we are I am shocked that it actually didn't win best musical that year i mean not super shocked i mean Van hansen is such a huge sensation but um you know this one just took off you know took broadway by storm and really took off that i i thought it was a really you know really decent competitor to dear evan hansen but um absolutely and and it routinely played to and it actually still does well not currently but until broadway you know before broadway shut down it was still playing to standing room only audiences you know even during previews um i mean i think that speaks to how uh how fascinating and relatable and touching the story is um mm-hmm. i've never talked to someone who saw the show who didn't just come out absolutely raving about it. Um, Cause there, yeah. there are so many, the story has so many layers to it because there are so many different people with so many different experiences. Um, and I think what mm. it, one of the great things about how they tell the story is it um, in the ensemble way where everyone is jumping in and out of different characters and has multiple tracks within the show, you get to see this event through so many different lenses from so many different people's experience. Like uh, for me, one of the most important ones is um, watching the the character, oh, I, believe, I believe his name is Ali, um, who's, yes. uh, who is a, a Middle Eastern person um, mm-hmm. and watching people watching how people treat him in the show and just knowing like knowing he's as scared as everybody else knowing he's just trying to get in contact with his family and be safe but his experience is monumentally different from uh say diane who's from texas or um oh gosh i'm forgetting all the characters names but you you know what i mean like everyone there has their own their own world experience that shapes how 
how this event was for them. And it, you get to see so many different things. And it, it just, it widens the perspective on the event. I think just as on, it widens the perspective I personally had on, on people, just in general. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, seriously, it, it is from its, I mean, I think the title of the musical itself it, it perfectly sets up the show, come from, a, you know, come from away because it's literally so many, I mean, it's 7,000 people all coming from different parts of the world. And especially, you know, they're all, I mean, not they're all, they're not all American, but most of them are American, but aren't treated, like Ali is not treated as, I mean, I believe there literally is a line. He's like, you don't, you don't look American. You don't speak American. But, you know, it, it and we're going to get more into that in a second. But just like how much, you know, just how much this show brings in so many different experiences that people can relate to, whether it's your nationality, sexual orientation, religion, gender there's so there's so much in this musical staring at these strangers waking up around me sitting in a crowd of people waiting for the phone and in a town that suddenly doubled population i feel so alone it's like any of us could have died on tuesday like we're dared to see things differently today I'm feeling different, distant, strange Who are these people here? Where am I? No one knows me here Who, Who am, am I if I don't feel like the me from yesterday? Fun fact, it became the longest running Canadian musical in Broadway history uh, and it surpassed another musical's previous record of 674 performances Do you know what that Canadian musical was? Oh, no, I don't. What is it? <laughs> the Drowsy Chaperone. I'm not going to lie. I had no clue that was Canadian. But Me neither. <laughs> there, there is something very Canadian about it. Okay. The more you know. There is. There is. There is. We love Canada. We love Canada. You don't get, a, you don't get, many, you don't get many Canadian musicals, but, uh, you, you know on Broadway, but they're really, they really are gems. Uh, but anyway, so, you know, this musical, it was uh, first conceived by uh, Michael Rubinoff, who was a Toronto lawyer, theater producer, and associate dean of visual and performing arts at Sheridan College in Oakville. Um, you know, after approaching various writing teams about the project, uh, Rubinoff attracted Irene Sankoff and David Hunt, Hain, I believe that's how you say his name, Hain. And he knew them from a 2009 musical called My Mother's Lesbian Jewish Wiccan Wedding. That which was a hit. <laughs> which was a hit at the Toronto Fringe Festival and uh, was later picked up by uh, Mervish Productions. But anyway, um, you know, in 2011, Sinkoff and Hain the composers for the show and the book writers for the show, they actually traveled to Gander on the 10th anniversary of the attacks. And they interviewed 
local passengers and returning pa and um, not local passengers, but locals and returning passengers who are on those flights. And some of them are actually, uh, they were translated like directly into the musical. Like some of them were direct stories of people with their names into the musical, while some were kind of like merged together, you know, for story purposes. But yeah, it was a, uh, it was originally 45 minutes. I think now it's about an hour and 45. It's still a one act, but it's a 45 minute. It was originally like a 45 minute workshop uh, for the Canadian Music Theatre Project uh, at Sheridan College of Music in 2012. And I mean, it just kind of took off from there. I mean, can you believe, I mean, that's kind of amazing. I think that, that's kind of incredible. It's so incredible. I think it, it's, again, I think it speaks to the, the way that it was developed speaks to the nature of the story. I mean, I think, I don't know this for sure, but I, I just have this feeling that it was a terribly, um, a terribly collaborative process that just grew and was, a lot of that growth came from these performers. Um, mm -hmm. Just because the way that everything is woven together and how everyone is just right there the whole time. Like there, nobody misses a beat. There's never a moment where anyone is not fully in that story, even if they're not playing their, their main character at the time. Like they're, everyone is just right there. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean, talk about an ensemble show. I mean, I thought Hamilton was an ensemble show, which it really is. I mean, it, it is a very much an ensemble show, but this show is literally an ensemble. Sh I mean, it is all of an ensemble. There is not one singular. I mean, there is not really one singular star yeah. of this show, you know? Yeah. And it's, and I think that goes to prove that you don't need a big name or a major star or a major, you know, main character for a musical to work especially on Broadway, you don't, you don't really need a, a big star. And if you have a really good musical, a really good book and a really good ensemble and director and composer, I mean, I, I, I think this musical really defied a lot of, I would say tropes, probably a lot of tropes in, you know, that have kind of taken over Broadway in some way of with stunt casting and um and that sort of stuff you know what i mean yeah absolutely i i'd also add that it it kind of circumvents the idea that you need a big it needs to be a gigantic production um because what oh what yeah I, yeah what i loved I don't want to say what I loved most because I, I'm, I'm going to say that about everything because um, I love this show so much. Um, but one of the things that was the most fascinating to me when I first saw the show and continue to fascinate me that there's the set is almost non-existent. They have like a back, the back wall that's the, these wooden slats and a door and right. then chairs. It's just wooden chairs that they move around and it, it becomes the planes. It becomes the restaurant. It's, it becomes even the, the cliff at the end when Diane and Doug are uh, looking out over, um, I think it's called uh, Dover Fault. Is that, that's yeah. um, yeah. but it's just, it shows how the the brain fills in those things when you're an audience member, especially if there's that much 
buy-in. And it was just, it, it makes for such smooth transitions. Like it was such a, it was such a smooth show. Like you go, yes. you go from, you go from planes to the buses to the school. Like you do in just seconds. And it's, mm. it, it didn't phase me at all as an audience member looking at this because it, it didn't need anything more than that because the star is the story and the star is these, these people's hearts and their, their experience. It's not, I mean, last week we talked about ragtime and the, the wonderful things that they did with the set for that. And that, that was one of those things where I totally aided it. But I think I can't imagine come from away having anything more than those chairs because it's really all it needs. I mean, the lighting is just, I mean, lighting design is so, it isn't, I mean, it is an art. I mean, it truly, I mean, theater is an art. So I think lighting design is an, is a huge part of that art. I mean, it's an art in itself. I mean, the way that it has been used, is used to create the airplane, to create the cliff, to create, the, I mean, it, it truly, I give my props to, <laughs> I give my props to the tech people. Ha, ha, ha. Absolutely. The Designers are amazing. I mean, what they, what they, are able to do with the lighting and the sound to help create these spaces with such the, such a minimal set is just amazing. And I've done shows with heavy ensemble work. And I, I mean, it is one of my professors here. Uh, I took a class last semester where we really focused on, it was a devising class, which really focused on ensemble work. And I mean, you have to breathe together. You have to think together. I mean, it, it is so hard at first to really, especially at first to really get in sync as an ensemble. And this cast, I mean, after years and years of doing it, this cast, I mean, I think they nailed it. They absolutely flawless, seamless. I mean, they, I think they absolutely nailed it. Absolutely. I mean, so many of these people that did the La Jolla, like the, the first the first run in La Jolla, or at least the first American run, were, were there through Broadway until they left. Or some of them are still still part of that cast. And it's five years from that first production in America. Like they, they're, yeah. they're all just right there. They're all clicked into it. And they're I think you're absolutely right. This kind, that kind of ensemble work, you just have to be locked in um, mm -hmm. the whole time, and you're you are there to support. I think what when I saw it in high school, that was one of the biggest things our uh, my director had us like take away is like you see how everyone is there for the story. This isn't about mm -hmm. any one performer. No one could do this without the other people on stage and. It's it. I think it's theater in like one of the purest forms because it is not. It's not about a star vehicle. It's not about anything except telling the story of this very real human experience. And not a single oh. person is is held above anyone else. Everyone is just there to share this story. And honestly, I think one of the things about it is it, it helps. It helps heal. Yeah. Oh, 100%. I mean, oh gosh, it is, it makes you laugh. It makes you cry. It is, it, I mean, you're, I'm, you're an emotional roller coaster. And so 
what's really, really cool is I believe there are seven, eight, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. It's a cast of 13, I believe, if I'm correct. And oh my gosh, it feels like there's a million people on stage. You know what I mean? Yeah. It feels like there's a because I mean, just the way that they all, I mean, that is real acting right there. Being able to distinguish from, you know, the actor playing Garth to going to Kevin to going to all the other people in the, you know, all the <laughs> other passengers. It's it's crazy, you know? Yeah, it, it, absolutely. It, I mean, it, it speaks to how, how masterful these actors and artists are. Like, they don't get whole costume changes. They don't get even moments off stage. So often it's like, all right, I've got this jacket on the back of the chair. I'm going to throw it on. And now I'm a completely different person telling a completely different perspective of this moment. And they do it like instantly. Absolutely. And you believe it. You believe it. It's incredible. Now there's a solemn old tradition for admission or audition to transition from a come from away to be a Newfoundlander. The only other way at any rate is pass away and pray to fate and wait to reincarnate. As a Newfoundlander, hey, hey, come on inside. Nothing better, nothing tried. Only a couple of people cried. You'll be a Newfoundlander, hey, hey, sit down right here. Ignore your doubts and fears. So, uh, fun fact. So, Diane Gray and Nick Marston, who in the show fall in love. You know, he's she's from Texas, he's from England, and they fall in love on the plane. That's a true story. That is a yeah. completely true story. And I'm 99% sure that they've, they've been married for 17 years now, and I'm 99% sure that they've seen the show like multiple times and same uh with beverly is it bass or bass i can't remember i think it's bass beverly who the, the pilot yeah, yeah pilot. Beverly bass. i should i could be wrong about that but fun fact so beverly beverly bass who flew the 36 plane to gander uh she was you know later named american airlines first ever female captain and she has seen the show about a hundred times. Wow. She's seen, she's seen it about a hundred. I mean, can you, I mean, I would go see a musical about myself and my passion a <laughs> hundred times. I don't know about you. <laughs> I would, I'd love to, to hear what it was, what it is like to see this as someone who experienced it, you know? Oh, absolutely. So, did you know that they used real trees on stage? Real trees? I did not know this. Those were real trees. And I guess there's two trees that kind of stick up in the back. Um, mm-hmm. 
that are kind of right uh, house right stage left side um, that are supposed to represent the World Trade Center, but oh, wow. they used they used real trees, and because of the amount of artificial lighting, the trees they continued to grow and sprout leaves on the stage. You're joking. <laughs> I'm not joking. That was actually a fun fact that I put on our Instagram story earlier. But like, isn't that, in isn't that insane? That is insane. And it's so, oh my gosh. Talk about life continuing after tragedy. Oh yeah. my gosh. So let's dive into that. So, oh my gosh. So there are... You know, I think we focus on about, what would you say, about over 30 people in the show total? I don't know. It's a I'm cast of 13, but they all play multiple people. But I think there's about a little over 20 people that we really get to focus on. Mm -hmm. um, maybe about five of them, five or six of them that we really get to hone in on. Um, mm -hmm. And I mean, oh my gosh. So let's talk about it. So, you know, at first, everybody's kind of, what I love about this show is that it is about an American tragedy, but it's through the perspective of something that isn't American. And not to say that the American perspective isn't important, but I feel like as Americans, you know, we know the American perspective. So hearing how this tragedy affected the world and affected this small town of Gander and the 7,000 people on these planes, um, you know, it started as a normal morning, but then all of a sudden, you know, news broke all over the world about the terrorist attack, the terrorist attacks in New York City and Washington and Pennsylvania. And, you know, this small town is getting word that 38 planes are going to be landing in their small town and they have to house these people because Lord knows when they're going to be able to get back up in the air again. I mean, talk about a community coming together. <laughs> it's, oh my it's, gosh. Yeah. I mean, I think from the beginning, the thing, the thing is like, there's not a moment where they're like, we can't do it. From the no, very like beginning, they're like, okay, what do we need? What do we do? Like, they, I we think they're- Exactly. Like, it's not a question that they're going to help these people. It's just how. I mean, there's like the brief moment with the, the school bus strike needing to end, at least momentarily, um, to go help I these know. people. <laughs> like they, they, they literally pause their labor strike and go and help these people because it's, it's just what they do. I mean, I think that that's such a cool thing about this community that takes in all these people is they're just they, they just want to be there to help. Um, and mm -hmm. do everything they can. And it's not, it's not a question to them that they're going to help. Oh. It's just the how. And oh, watching yeah. them and figure it out is so interesting. I mean, one of, one of I think the funniest sequences is when they send Oz to the store to yes, get- I was just going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they send Oz to the store to get things that people might need and they keep back to shoppers and <laughs> keeps picking up X, Y, and Z and then- finally gets it from from like toilet paper to all these things and then it gets to tampons and then poor Beulah has to go because <laughs> he's like feminine so... products what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's just it's, uh... it's so interesting because it, it's it's so quick 
that they set this whole thing up. And like, it, what I think is fascinating is they, they switch from that, that very fast paced, let's figure this out. Let's clean out the classroom. Let's get all of these things that we need for these people to the just absolute stagnant feeling inside the planes yeah, where they were not allowed to know anything and not allowed to leave. So, you know, they go through the fact that, you know, all these people are stuck on the planes and, you know, they go through all the different movies and they get to Titanic and there's that, I can't remember <laughs> who it is that sings, you know, a brief section of the song from Titanic. So fun fact, this is something that, um, so this is something that's actually pretty cool. So it's copyright infringement, or I believe it's like play, it's considered plagiarism after seven notes. So I'm sure they got, I'm sure they got permission anyway from Celine's people, but what's really clever about it is they go near, far, wherever you are. That's seven notes right there. <laughs> Isn't that pretty cool? It's so they like super cool. <laughs> they just hit right under the mark for where it would be considered plagiarism, <laughs> which I'm sure, you know, they they don't they own up to the fact that they're you know what I mean. They're not trying to hide anything, but it's just like, I just think that's a funny little nod to that. Um, that's super but, fun, yeah. But I mean, seriously though, these people are stuck on a plane for. I mean, I am a can get a pretty you know, get pretty claustrophobic myself. I can't imagine. I, can, I mean, like, I could barely, I don't want to say barely, but when I flew to London, you know, last spring, not this, two springs ago, oh my gosh, yeah, because COVID happened and everything just kind of, time didn't exist for a second. But, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know, I flew to London a couple springs ago and even just seven hours on a plane, I was like, okay, when, when are we... When are we landing? When are we landing? Yeah. <laughs> but 28 hours. 28 hours in the plane. I mean, seriously. Yeah. And, and I mean, I just, that's when you, you know, you start learning about all the different passengers and you start, that's when you meet Diana, you meet Nick, you meet the Kevins. <laughs> I love it uh, so much. I know, I know, I know. Uh, you, you meet, you meet Hannah, and oh my gosh, Hannah and her just absolutely heartbreaking, heartbreaking storyline with her son, as a fire, who is a fireman, and and uh, you know she doesn't know where he is. She has no contact, and she can't contact him, and he can't contact her because you know she doesn't have it. You know there were no mobile phones. There were some yeah. people had mobile phones, uh, and there were lines and lines for the pay phones but she couldn't contact him and he couldn't contact her I mean and Beverly finally getting a hold of her husband you know yeah. with, with the whole I'm I'm fine Tom I'm fine and you know just learning of her colleagues when you know and her colleague um is it Charlie is the name of her colleague who who lost his life in the crash in the Pentagon. I believe his name was. Charles. I yeah, his... yeah, I was. Charles. I just Charles. heard the in my head. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And, and, you know, that's when you really get to start to learn, you know, everybody's story and it becomes, 
you know, it still remains an ensemble show, but it's just, you, you start to connect with the characters. I mean, immediately the show sets it up with, you know, the show sets you up right away with you caring about all of the characters. You're like, I don't even know your name, but I can relate to you, girl, about you know, <laughs> about being stuck on a plane for 28 hours or running to the store to get, you know, diapers and food and all of this stuff. But yeah, exactly. I mean, and it also goes back to like everyone, everyone has their story of that day, wherever they were. And it's mm. like, it, it's it's an immediate bond for the audience and the storytellers because it's like this, this happened to all of us. It just happened in yeah. very different ways. And now it's, it, we all know some semblance of that feeling. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. 100%. And if you really look, I mean, like the passengers, when they get off the plane, they're like, they're not running into these people's arms or anything. They're, really hesitant and very kind of almost put off by their hospitality. I think um, there's the funny line about, you know, like the, the Salvation Army people coming out. And then the one man says, there are soldiers everywhere and everybody won't get off the bus because they're all so intimidated. And, oh, this is one of my favorite parts is when, but the two passengers who don't speak a lick of English and the bus driver finds a way to communicate with them with her Bible because he says, you know, our Bibles are the same. And he f turns to uh, Philippians four, six, which is about, you know, not being anxious and, you know, trusting in the Lord. And, you know, he used the, that as a way to communicate with, you don't have anything to be afraid of. And, it's so brilliant because then he says that's when we started speaking the same language because we come from all these different places, but we really aren't different from one another. You know, we are really, we have so many, we have so many more things in common. I think it's the, you know, every single human on the face of the earth has the same 99.9% .9 genetic makeup. Exactly. As, everybody else you know but it's this one thing it's it's language it's it's the color of your skin that that people will use to be like nope you're different you are a completely different person from me and i reject that when really we have so many things we have so many more things that tie us together you know what i mean yeah absolutely I mean, I think this is also one of those moments that's like a, everyone's going through it at the same time. Yeah, we have our own, our own background and our own experience, but this is happening to everyone in that moment. So the, I mean, the, the, the not knowing, the not, the, the, the fear, the know where your loved ones are, that's the same across, across cultures, languages, all of that. Like, it's just, it, it's a universal thing. Eula is the woman from Gander, and Hannah is from New York, and they both bond over the fact that their sons are are firefighters, and oh, and when they go and, oh gosh, okay, so the, sorry, I don't mean to ramble so much, but just like the church, the church scene and yes. prayer, which uses, you know, growing up Catholic, that song, Make Me a Channel of Your Peace, the prayer of St. Francis, I heard that song. I hear that song so much at church mm -hmm. and just the way that they incorporated that into the show. 
and have all of these different people praying from all their different religions, you know, praying at the same time, you know, it's such a spiritual moment, you know, no matter what God you believe in, or if you believe in a God, if you, if you find spirituality and other things, you know, it just, there's so much to relate to just in that single moment. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that gets to like the most important or one of the most important themes of the show is unity and, and community that had this moment in time that we're all going through this together, but, mm-hmm. and no matter like, again, no matter where they're from, what they look like, what language they speak, every person is there and they are going through this and they have this shared, this shared thing. And it's special. Like there's a reason people go back and they have that scholarship and everything. Everyone was taken care of. And there was, and obviously there was conflict, but like the overwhelming amount of good that came from these people that earlier in the day, their worst thing that was going on was the bus strike. And now it's all of these strangers and they, they just want to help. And I think what um, a lot of the characters realize is like, that's not the norm. They're not used to that. I think about the one character saying like, he's, he was scared about like watching his wallet. And now he's like, I don't have to watch my wallet. Or like when um, he was staying with the, the mayor of one of the little towns nearby and they're going to have a cookout. So he has him go and like steal grills from people's backyards for this yeah. cookout. And he's a, he's a black man. So he's like, I'm, this is not going to end well for me. You don't understand. But everyone's like, oh yeah, do you, do you need help stealing my grill? Do you need help stealing my grill? That's right. <laughs> exactly. It's the, there was some, and that that was probably one of the most extreme things that happened in the show as, as far as like, wow, people are just being overwhelmingly nice, but just the, the kindness. And I think that that character in particular, he's, he in the show is the one who starts the scholarship and he's like that kindness was not something he found elsewhere. And I think they, he talks about when he gets back to New York, how everything is different. And how mm-hmm. that kind of overwhelming kindness in that moment of crisis just changed how he looked at the world and how he how he behaves towards people and how he gives back. Oh, absolutely. Darkness only light and where
It's interesting because we see a relationship grow in the show, and then we see a relationship kind of separate. And not kind of separate, they do separate in the end. You see Diane and, and Nick's um, you know, relationship grow, and it blossom, and it's beautiful, and you cry at the end because he moved to the United States just to be with her because his flat yeah. was so empty. and. <laughs> Oh, it's so beautiful. And then you see the Kevins who, you know, they just kind of, and I think, you know, initially you're so sad because you're like, why would you let this ruin your relationship? But I think how you deal and cope in time of tragedy is a huge factor in relationships. You know what I mean? I think that's a huge factor in, you know, do you, if in wanting to be in a relationship with somebody. Absolutely. I, I think with the Kevin specifically, the thing that starts the dissolving of their relationship is when um, one of the Kevins wants to go out for a walk or wants to go, wants to go to the bar and be with everyone. Cause everyone is actually having like this good time. And I, I think it's, both of them have very understandable reactions one of the mm-hmm. Kevin's like, he's so concerned about his family. He just wants to be back with them. Mm-hmm. And the other Kevin is like, I, I'm here. I'm going, this is, this is what I need to do to be okay. And I think that's, right. sometimes you can make it work when you have those different things. And sometimes you can't. Um, and, and I would even add, I would even add that there's even a little bit, even earlier in the show, there is a little bit of force. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading into this so much. Um, because <laughs> you know the whole thing where like the author says that the curtains are blue, and you know us as the readers are like, oh, that represents the character's depression and her, yeah. you know, her her fall into this grave state of sadness or whatever. And the author's just like, no, the curtains were blue. Exactly. Um, but I kind of saw it, you know, even in the beginning when in the beginning when he's like, you know, my name is Kevin and this is my boyfriend Kevin. We're both named Kevin. It was cute for a while, but, and I think that kind of, I don't know, to me, it kind of is a little bit of a nod of like, oh, this relationship, you know, is all, I don't think they are in the best place when they go to Newfoundland. I don't think that they are in, they're not exactly in the worst place when they get there, but you can already just kind of tell. And then there's, I think there's symbolism too with the whole, it was cute for a while, but yeah absolutely because we all have those relationships that are they're cute for a while but then they just they just don't work out yeah and i think and i think that's so relatable with any relationship no matter your gender sexual orientation is that you know and it it it, it is it's hard sometimes it's hard yeah i mean i think Um, also like Sometimes when when you do have some major event like that, sometimes you can't recover from that. Or maybe your healing needs to happen on your own or not with this person because you heal differently. I mean, the the one Kevin who was really concerned about his family, like he, I believe as soon as they got to the States, he went to see his family. Um, Mm -hmm. 
And like, that's what he needed. He needed to be on his own with his family. And that's, that's okay. And I think you think about like when, uh, when a parent loses a, or parents lose a child, there are some couples that can get through that and there are others that can't because that is such a, it's such a monumental moment yeah. of tragedy. And that's, it's this, it, it's not exactly the same, but it, it's, it's the same kind of huge, sh it, I'm not going to say the same because it's not the same. Mm -hmm. It's, it is a tragedy. It's a tragedy and a tragedy changes you, whether you want it to or not, no matter how you outwardly react to it, you're, you are changed by something like this. And yeah. I don't think anyone comes out of something like this unchanged. Mm -hmm. You can't, you can't live in the world as you used to um, after all of this has happened. And I think that's, yeah. that's what happens with that couple is they just, maybe they were functioning really well before that, maybe, but it, they changed and that's, mm -hmm. that's what happens. And it, they, I'm sure they're both happy, happier now. Um, because they they are this new version of themselves, and they didn't they didn't hold on to a relationship that wasn't wasn't right anymore because they've changed. Oh yeah, and I would even go even further to say that's what happens to this whole group of passengers. Not only just yeah. so that you, you you know you you have the twenty eight hours of the plane when they finally get off, and they don't know anything about what they just know that there was an accident in New York City. And yeah. they see the footage and they experience the tragedy, but then they go through this whole incredible journey through Newfoundland and their time in Newfoundland. I mean, it is an emotional roller coaster for them. And all of them come out as these changed people and then going back into a changed United States. Really? I mean, they, they talk about going back. I mean, the ending is kind of a, I wouldn't even say it's bittersweet. It's like a, it's just, there's a hodgepodge of so many things. Like, you know, New York is completely different, but Diane and Nick have this beautiful new relationship or um, Hannah's son is gone, but she has this wonderful new um, friendship with Beulah. And you know what I mean? It's just, I mean, it is so much about change and coping with change and oh, there's so much in there. I mean, especially oh, yeah. Beverly in the song, me in the sky talking mm -hmm. about how this passion, this, you know, she's this pilot who that, you know, something that she has loved doing ever since she was a little girl, she loved being up in the cockpit. She loves flying. She loves it so much, but it's changed now because something that she loved and was her passion was used as a weapon of mass destruction. And now, and she couldn't get in the air. There was something literally physically blocking her because planes were not allowed to be in the air. And just her whole view on flying has changed. Not necessarily, I don't want to even want to say in the negative sense, because I think, you know, I don't think she's, traumatized not to fly anymore you know she but it's she views it differently you know it's 
I, I, I think this musical, you know, there's, if there is another major, major thing about this musical is coping with change and the change in the world and the world changing, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I'd also add like the, the way the musical is structured is it you, as an audience member, you experience the highs and lows in the way these people, in a, in a, in a proxy way that these people would have, where you do have the, when they are all stuck on the planes before they know anything, it's, it's annoyance. It's, it's fear of the unknown, but it's more annoyance because they don't know. They don't know what terrible tragedy has happened. Yeah. And then they finally get on the ground and see what has happened while they've been trapped on these planes mm-hmm. and the whole worlds have completely changed and it's coping oh, with yeah. that. And then it's they're they're in this now safe place and they they're in a bubble. You see them be in this bubble and some of them oddly enough thrive in this little bubble of the world. And then when they get on the plane, like as they're getting back on the planes, it's it's a celebration. They're celebrating getting back to the States and all of this. But then as they fly over, New York is still smoldering. And you you hear the change in the music and in the dialogue, you, you hear them starting to realize that they're out of the bubble and the world has the rest of the world has changed too. They might have changed internally from their experience in Gander, but the world has changed. And the the way that they structure the music and everything is just, it just makes you feel it right along with them. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think in that number, you know, right after that number, I can't remember when it is in the show, but if it's right after somewhere in the middle of nowhere, when, um, you know, the Muslim traveler, um, you know, is faced with increasing prejudice and he has to undergo a strip search before boarding. I mean, a humiliating strip search. And I think that immediately, you know, sets up just the different world now. Uh, I believe it was, um, it was, uh, I watched an interview uh, with Adina Menzel, uh, Mm -hmm. who was starring in Aida at the time of 9-11, she was playing Amneris in Aida and on Broadway and how she said, you know, after um, 9-11 or like, you know, obviously the theaters were dark that night and they were dark for a few nights later, but eventually they had to come back. And she was talking about how, you know, there was just kind of like what, Beverly talks about in the, at the end of the show, when she says that the air, the airport is just completely empty. How Adina was talking about how, I mean, the theater had probably about 25 people in it the first night they were back. And she almost felt guilty making people laugh during this time. But, you know, similar to the travelers, you know, who experienced that, you know, we're able to experience a fun time. You need laughter and you need to heal. You need to cope. You know, it doesn't mean that it goes away. It's just, you need to find ways to take care of yourself. You know what I mean? So, but it's just this completely changed, you know, United States trying to bounce back and all these passengers are just kind of, you're right. They, they come from their bubble and they're thrown right in 
I don't want to say back to reality, but in a way it kind of is kind of the thrown back into reality. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they, they do have to, they, they've heard all the things on the news and they've seen the footage, but now they're back in the middle of it. Now they have to, they have to be in the room with their, their families if they've lost a loved one and they have to go to those funerals. Like mm-hmm. they, they have to, they have to see the buildings smoldering. They have to see the airports the way that they were when they got back. And they, I can't imagine what that's like because it's, it's almost like, it's almost like when you get injured, but in, in some big traumatic way, but there, the adrenaline keeps you from feeling the pain. Mm-hmm. Yes. The and the moment they they cross back into the states and land they're all the pain is right there they can't mm-hmm. they, there's no shutting it off because it's right there in front of your face and i think it the, what the musical does is it asks the question how do you move on how do you even yeah. behave? how do you cope with the idea you uh, i think the oh gosh uh, one of the characters says he was so much better in Gander. Yes. And that's how, how can you imagine how guilty you would feel that you in the, in the middle of this tragedy, you are feeling better than you maybe did in your everyday life before this tragic thing happened. And suddenly you're yeah. back. Everyone is in this, everyone is in this state of mourning. The whole country was in mourning and in the state of fear. And you don't know how to move on. You don't know how to cope with the fact that you, you were kind of okay. You were safe. Mm-hmm. Oh, how do, you, how do you, how do you like rationalize that or um, rationalize is not the right word, but how do you, how do you deal with that? And how do you, how do you move forward in a way that is respectful, but also recognizes that life must go on somehow? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Stop the world. Stop the world. Stop the world. Stop the world. Stop the world from spinning round. I wanna look up, overlooking something worth taking the time to stop. So 9-11, you know, it, it changed American life and, and very similarly, but in a different way, COVID also completely has upended our lives here all over the world. And I guess this is what I really, really wanted to get into is about this show you know, coping with tragedy and coping, you know, community coming together during a very difficult time. Let's talk about that and how, you know, our world today. And I'm going to say something just to kind of start us off with this. I said before COVID or when COVID first hit and we, it was announced that we were going to go under a statewide quarantine which I'm pretty sure was almost a national quarantine at that point. But, you know, I I said, I feel like we are going to see the best of people. And I think we are going to see the worst of people 
during this time. What do you think about that? I agree. I completely agree. And I, th- I think when you look at the, the just completely overt xenophobia and racism that um, Ollie specifically deals with, um, it's just, it's horrendous and it's born of fear. Um, it's absolutely born of fear, uh, which doesn't make it right. It absolutely doesn't make it right. He should not have to be attacked in that way just because oh, what what uh, what country his his family might be from or his, his ancestors or his ethnicity. When things like this happen, people are... People are on extremes. It's a there. I feel like it's not that you can't be somewhere in between, like at your best and at your worst, but fear does that to people. Oh yeah. Oh, and I mean, it's really funny because people, um, I guess not funny in a way of like interesting. Um, you know, people really became you know, the people who really, be- people really became their best in reaching out to people when quarantine started, you know, making sure people were okay, making sure that, I, I mean, I saw, especially the Broadway community and Steph, I mean, so Laura Benanti with her Sunshine songs, you know, yeah. and Stephanie J. Block just kind of being the mom, being like, is everybody okay? <laughs> is everybody <laughs> Stephanie J. Block, if you're listening to this, thank you. But <laughs> I mean, Stephanie was just kind of the one that everybody was tweeting at being like, I don't know how I'm feeling. I'm scared or whatever. She's just like, it's okay. We're going to get through this. Um, <laughs> I'm sure there were multiple other people too, but like she was just kind of the front runner for me of just kind of being like the mom for all of us theater people on Twitter. <laughs> but um, yeah. I mean, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, there are, there are those moments where people are able to, to extend that extra kindness out into the world in moments of crisis, which is just, I, I applaud those people and I, I would love to learn how to do that because it, I mean, that, that takes such strength and such, yeah. I, don't know, I guess, sort of, um, Ooh, you you have to kind of put yourself aside and be like, how is, how is this person doing? Not how, you know, I mean, obviously self-care is so important, but just kind of being able to not focus on yourself for a second and be like, what can I do to help other people during yeah, this exactly. time? How can I help other people? And that's, that's such a, a beautiful thing to have as a person and to, to do, like, if you can do that, like, more power to you. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful thing to be able to help other people. And that's so prevalent in this show. And you know, what's interesting when COVID hit, you know, I, like I said, we're going to see the best of people, the worst of people, you know, where you really saw the dichotomy of the two. Where, where do you think, where do you think I'm going to say? Oh gosh. It's a physical place. A physical place. Best and worst. The grocery store? The grocery store! Oh, you're right! (laughs) Yeah, I mean, seriously, you had, I mean, I had, I saw people who were like, I saw people who were very kind, very generous. I saw 
you know, there was a woman with like five kids and I saw people let her in first to the grocery store when there was a line wrapped around. I saw, you know, people were like, let's let this, I'm going to help this elderly woman take, you know, so she doesn't have to stay in the store very long. I'll help her get out quicker. Um, or, you know, stores opening up from 7 to 8 a.m. And then all of the toilet paper disappeared. All mm-hmm. of the hand sanitizer was gone, but not the soap. Everybody took the hand sanitizer, but not the soap. And that was really funny to me. But there was a shortage of bread flour. I'm going to put this out there. There was a shortage of bread flour. Y'all are fiends and taking your bread. I get it. We all wanted to bake. We all wanted to start baking in quarantine. I get it. But I couldn't find bread flour for months. And so I'm just, this is this is me getting on my soapbox. This is me getting on my platform. I'm getting off topic now, but this is me getting on. This is my time to say this. There was no bread flour. I couldn't find it for months. I'm stepping off. <laughs> no, but. No, I think you're totally right. I mean, the you you really do see the best and worst of people. And I think that's, it's indicative of character. It's indicative of how you're handling it. Um, cause I know there, there were times where I was able to like be there and help other people, but there were other times where I was like, I, I can't because of how I'm dealing with all of this right now. Like I can't, I can't get out of bed today to go back to the Kevins. I think that's kind of where the two Kevins are on that spectrum. Like one of the Kevins wants to be out and experiencing these people because they're so kind he's he's in a place where he's able to accept that kind of graciousness and that kind of joy and love from this community and other kevin he's he probably would have much preferred to stay in bed just because that's where he was at mm-hmm. which oh, like that's thing is that's not the that's not someone's worst that's just where he's at and i think there the the few moments where you do see people's absolute worst in the show it, it is in those moments where people are um being overtly racist toward um, Ali. Oh, I witnessed a full-on fight in the grocery store. Like somebody, somebody made a comment about how much I don't. I, can't, I don't actually think it was toilet paper. Maybe it was toilet paper. I mean, this guy was taking a lot of toilet paper, but you know, I. You know, somebody made a comment that, like, really, you're going to take that much toilet paper? And he's like, mind your own business. And then there was this huge fight that broke out. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, people are losing their minds on this. And I saw this in the show of people just in the show. You see people who are, you know, quick, you know, what what is in it for me? What can what what this is what I need right now? You know what I mean? This is what I and this isn't me bashing self-care of course and taking time to be like what do i need but i think there's a huge difference between what do i need to do so i don't completely collapse as a human being versus am i gonna get three bags of or three boxes of toilet paper or am i gonna only get two you know what i mean and i think yeah that was definitely something that, you know, you see in the musical and especially there was a lot of prejudice going around with this virus. Our lovely president. And by lovely, I mean, truly disgusting as uh, a really disgusting kind of embarrassment for a president 
calls this a China virus. Well, here's the news, bud. It's everywhere now. Every every country had it. Almost every country in the world had it. And, and, and seriously, we are one of the worst countries in handling this virus in the world. In the world. Yeah. And just... Because, and you know what, I, I kind of relate that to the show is how much, you know, people really criticize and, you know, were immediately so quick to uh, profile Ali in the show. But when a white man shoots up a school, you know, no, it, it's, oh, he was mentally not right. He was in a really bad place. He was depressed. He was bullied and all this stuff. But Ali, who is this... I believe he's a chef, right? He's this world-renowned chef. Yeah. For these hotels, he's immediately profiled. We don't profile white men when it comes to this, but we profile people of color in many ways. That's where I kind of saw that. And it, it might be—is it a stretch? I don't know. Was that kind of a stretch? I mean, that's kind of what I, how I kind of relate this show to what's going on today. I don't think it's a stretch at all. I mean, I mean, I think it's—it's—they're very different situations, but. I think um, I hesitate to say this just because it is a very different situation, and the the um, the extent of the prejudice is nowhere near the same. Um, but as as an Asian person um, during this time, there at the very beginning of quarantine, I was scared to go to the store. Um, mm-hmm. I'm very scared to go to the store. And my, some of my relatives and friends were like, you're, you're being, you're being silly. And I'm like, well, uh, because there were, there, there were people getting, um, assaulted and, um, really wow. brutally hurt, um, because they were Asian. And because there was this, this idea that Asian people brought it and had it, um, it absolutely is not true. And it's, it's something that was spread from that rhetoric um, that was used by the president, um, which is just horrendous because it's putting danger. Um, and it, he's yeah. known to do that with other, other groups as well. He's done it toward the black community. He's done it toward um, Muslim people, towards Middle Eastern people. It's nothing yeah. for him. And I think he, he doesn't realize how important that or how, how impactful that rhetoric is. Um, but it's, it's, uh, it has made me scared. I still I worry when I'm at the grocery store now. I, I'll go now when I need to and I'm not as scared. But when I, I, I went home... Um, from my, uh, cause I, I live in Missouri for school, but I went home to Washington, uh, once quarantine started. Uh, and for a while I, I had my mom come to the store with me whenever I would go. Um, wow. I was, I'm I was so sorry. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's a very unfortunate thing and it's something that's, um, it's kind of hard to reconcile because it, it, that is one of those moments where you are seeing the worst of people. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it is, it's weird. And I, I've been, I've been fortunate to have not actually um, been on the receiving end of any um, specific prejudice, racist attacks or anything like that. But it's, it's something that is in the air after something like this, when you do put blame on an entire group of people. Um, I was uh, over the summer, I was working at a restaurant um, 
and there was one one day where I I I was dealing with some kind of uncomfortable race related issues at work with coworkers. So I was already a little on edge, but then I, I hear uh, this group of older gentlemen um, talking about the Kung flu and my stomach just completely drops. I, I grab all the things that I had in my hands. I put it in a bus tub and I go to the back room and I just sit because I'm like, mm-hmm. Oh my God, because of because they've now said this is the fault of so many of this group of people. I now I, I'm part of that. And I, I'm like, are you, am I safe now around you? And that's, that is such a small, a small, very, very, very small version. I I can't even say it's a version of it. It's, it's something akin in the smallest way to how Middle Eastern people have been stereotyped and shoved into this category after 9-11 and it's it's just horrendous and it's something that um east asian people have been dealing with just for this little period of quarantine and the it's seeing ali go through what he goes through in the play is it's it's such a small sliver of the absolutely horrific treatment that Middle Eastern people have had to endure since that moment, because we cannot, for some reason as a nation, accept that it was a group of people within a group of people. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I think it's so interesting because, you know, when you mentioned the Kung flu, that is a term that was first said by the president of the United States. That's, that was something that Donald Trump said. And even going back, you know, through, you know, ever since 9-11, political leaders have had such a huge influence on the, the, these kind the, you know, this topic, especially with, you know, President Obama when he was running for president in 2008 and people said that he was a Muslim. And I, and there were politicians who said that he probably, you know, I don't even think that he was actually born here. I don't think that he was, in, people running against him who said that. People in his same party were saying that. And granted, you know, Islam is not tied to a specific race or nationality, but, you know, they saw a person of color. Doesn't didn't matter if he was, you know, black or Middle Eastern or Latinx or Asian, you know, they, they, they saw him and they're like, Oh, he's a terrorist. Oh, he, he's a, you know, he is Muslim. And first of all, Assuming that, you know, and I think this is something even with, you know, especially you see with Ali in the show, is that we, you know, we need to stop as if saying that somebody is Muslim is an insult. You know what I mean? As as if that is an insult in the first place, or that is a harmful rhetoric in the first place, because it it is a religion. It it is, it is the way, you know, it is, it's, it's another person's religion. 
it shouldn't just be up. We should, we should, it shouldn't just be up to, you know, celebrities and, or people in politics, people who are on the front pages of the magazines to uh, kind of de- designate how we treat other people. You know, we, ha- we free thinking human beings, we free thinking Americans have to stop, really think about what we believe. Do I actually think that this person behind me is a terrorist? Do you know what I mean? Like really stop and think for ourselves. And in a lot of ways, you know, I, there are certain characters in this show that do overcome, you know, their prejudices. And then there are some that don't. And I think that this show, you know, at the end, Ali talks about his daughter being afraid to walk into a school into her own school after the September 11 attacks, you know, because she's scared to be profiled herself. And I think that this is something that we, that has not left a stigma that has not left our country. And it, it has been 19 years. It'll be 19 years uh, from the day that we are recording this. It'll be 19 years. Friday will be the 19th anniversary and this is a stigma that has not left our country for 19 years even prior to that and i think that just truly shows how i think this show will be relevant for an incredibly long time i don't know about you but i think this show will it'll be this is one of those shows that i think will always be relevant i agree i mean i think it's I, I think going back to the idea that in moments of crisis, you see the best and worst of people, that will never not be true. And this is one of the greatest tragedies that has ever happened to the world. Honestly, like, yes, it, it happened to America and many, many American lives were lost, but it was a it was a tragedy to the world. It was a shock to the world that changed how things how the world was. Um, and that's mm-hmm. something we, we don't ever forget that. We don't ever, mm-hmm. we, we can't, we can't forget that. And cause that's a, it, it would be disrespectful to the people who did lose their lives um, in that, on that day and in everything that followed. Um, but mm-hmm. I think we, the, it, it's so important that a story like this is told because it does, it lifts up those moments where people's best does show. And that's an, that's a terribly important thing to see, I think. Um, and it's also important to see that, see those moments where it is the worst, where you really do yeah. see worst in people come out because you can't, what, what I think the show does is it, it, it does show it, <laughs> It does show those best and worst right next to each other. You don't see the happy ending for Ollie. You don't get to see that because that, like you said, that prejudice has that prejudice, racism, xenophobia has stuck with us and will continue until we all as a nation figure out or we, we make the decision to stop that. And I know there are, yeah. there are people who have made that personal decision, but as a, as a country, we have not 
No, we could no clearly we haven't. I mean, this show it has kind of gone almost all over the world. It went from you know it traveled all over North America. Um, it opened. It ran. It had a run in Dublin at the Abbey Theater uh, from December twenty eighteen to. January 2019 because then it transferred to the West End in London and I actually I didn't see it in London but I saw I saw you know I walked past it in London past Mm -hmm. the Phoenix Theater and I just thought this is so so cool you know first of all I think the what the West End London's West End is gorgeous I love London it doesn't it's not as um it doesn't feel as daunting I don't want to say daunting. It doesn't feel as big as Broadway, mm-hmm. you know, in a sense of like, it's not as tall and it's not as busy. Yeah. It, it just has this completely different, but beautiful atmosphere. Um, and it has done very well in London. And I think, you know, and it did very well in Melbourne and it was actually supposed to travel. Um, the Australian production was supposed to travel uh, to China, but um it has been posted 2022 due to COVID-19. Um, and the production is actually scheduled to go from Melbourne to Sydney uh, next June. Uh, well, we will see. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Next June, something will happen. But yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I think all I of think- that, again, like, speaks to this is a universal story. Like, yes, it's a, yes, it's a, it's a, it's a Newfoundland story, but it's the story so many people from so many places experience this. And I think that's something that we, um, I don't want to say we forget as Americans because it was such a tragedy. Of course, we focus on the American experience of it, the American lives lost, the American tragedy. But there were people all over the world who were experiencing this too. And this specific group of 7,000 people were from everywhere, all over. your favorite part of the show oh gosh oh boy uh, my favorite part of the show this might take a second for me to think about Ten, um, nine. no I'm just kidding <laughs> I mean I uh, 28 hours wherever we are yeah. Um, just because, I mean, that's one of those moments where the, I think the, the staging is outstanding. Um, and the way that they have the, the, the staging and the lighting and everything, you feel claustrophobic with them. Um, yes, you, you do. Want, yeah. And you get this montage of that, the feelings over those 28 hours from the initial confusion to the fear, the not knowing the drunken party that breaked out in the plains. Like that it's 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 fascinating to watch oh, how that and since it is based on a true story, I'm assuming that it, if, even if it didn't all happen on one plane, like that's that's how real people react. Um and just I think it the 
that's one of those songs too, where like the way it, it builds at the end is just mwah, chef's kiss. Beautiful. Um, mwah. <laughs> mwah. Um, beautiful. Yeah. Oh, I mean, yes. I, I really could not pick a singular moment just cause it's a, the, sh- it, the show is such a, it's such a unit. <laughs> that sounds like a weird word to use to describe it, but the whole thing, it just goes from one thing to the other so quickly and so cleanly that the, even though there are these individual scenes, like you can ju- the story, the through line is just so strong and the, you, the feelings are just there the whole time. I just, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not a unified score, but it feels like one. It feels like it's a unified score. Um, feels like it seamlessly blends from one way to another and if if you kind of listen to the soundtrack you can get the gist of the story down pretty much just by listening to it there's some dialogue that you're missing but other than that it kind of is pretty seamless my favorite part i think is definitely my favorite song would probably be prayer because i just think that that is such a powerful moment of unification of people who are christian jewish Muslim, um, people who are spirit, uh, you know, other people who are spiritual, you know, not with an organized religion, you know, not in an organized religion. I think it, there's so much to connect there and just the power of prayer or meditation or whatever you use to connect. You know, I think that's so powerful. My favorite specific moment, <laughs> um, I have to say is the moment when Diane and Nick and the Kevins are going for a walk or I believe they're going for a walk or if they're going somewhere and the Kevins are like, we don't know how these people are going to react to gay people. So we try our best to really be discreet. And then Diane turns and she's like, so we were walking with a really nice gay couple. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I love that moment. guys so much for listening and supporting us you guys have been you guys have been an awesome audience um 
we love hearing from you guys. So if you do want to reach out to us, you can follow us on social media. Uh, we are the show goes on dot podcast uh, at Instagram. That is our Instagram handle. Uh, we're also on Twitter. It is show goes on live at show goes on live. And we are also on Facebook. And if you want to follow me on Instagram, you can always follow me at michael.cushieri or you can follow me on Twitter at michaelcush98. Yes, and you can follow me on Instagram at rubies underscore and underscore daffodils uh, because I was not smart enough to put my own name when I was in middle school. Um, yes, we, we did talk about that. That's right, but I love your... I love it anyway. I love it anyway. It brings me joy. Yeah. And then you can follow me on Twitter under RubyDarling98. Again, yes. did not use my name. <laughs> <laughs> Ruby, da- Ru- Ruby Darling. Ruby Darling. Ruby Darling, I'd like to have a word with you. Um, <laughs> if I was if I was an ensemble member in Gypsy, I would that would be my name. <laughs> I would make that, that would- Ruby Darling, yes. And you can also, you can actually, so now our podcast is available on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, on Pocket Casts, and uh, Radio Public. So you can listen to us on any four of those uh, streaming services, and hopefully we'll be available on more soon. But thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.